I mean, what was said several times was we, we've got a queue of 500 gigawatts now, which is like half a terawatt. That's a bit, a bit insane, isn't it? So there is no point to some of this reform unless we are able to give them enough teeth to be able to sort of solve the retrospective issue. Hello and welcome to the Connectology podcast. Here, Road Knight Taylor's influential team of elite connection specialists and their expert guests help you to better understand distribution and transmission network connections and how to acquire them faster, for less cost and at lower risk. Good afternoon. This is Road Knight Taylor's Grid News and Views podcast. I'm Nikki Pillinger and I'm here with Catherine Cleary and Philip Bale. Pete Aston is unfortunately ill at the moment, so sending our best wishes to him and hoping he gets better soon. Um, so we're going to have a little run through of uh, what's been going on in the industry over the last month. And I'm going to go to Catherine first to give us an update on the National Grid ESO seminar that happened in London on Monday. Thanks, Nikki. Um, yeah, we had a, um, a busy and very well attended uh, ESO uh, customer connection seminar um, in London on Monday, the 16th of October. There were lots of really sort of repeated themes here. You know, we had a kind of an overview of the five point plan, the technical um, sort of tactical initiatives um, from the ESO. Uh, quite a good representation from a couple of DNOs. Um, so uh, UKPN uh, just did a little bit of a kind of overview of the three-point plan on behalf of the ENA, which um, went down very well, I think. Um, and it was good to note there were a few other DNOs in attendance, um, which is sort of helping to kind of join things up, I think. Um, so uh, so a bit of an update on uh, things like technical limits, which I know I think you're going to touch on later, aren't you, Nikki? Um, yeah. I think um, w- a couple of the kind of key things, so... Ofgem were there. Um, they were pressed quite hard on whether or not they've got a decision for CMP three seven six and queue management. Um, they definitely didn't answer that question. Um, but um, so it's so we're waiting for the tenth of November um, for that decision date. Um, I mean, I think it was. I would say that whilst they didn't answer that question, there was definitely um, a reasonable agreement that there is an absolute need for queue management. I think I'd probably eat my hat or some form of uh, article of clothing um, if they don't approve it at all. But I guess the, the critical question is whether they're going to approve uh, the sort of baseline or, or Wacom 7, which is the retrospective one. Did there seem like there was quite a lot of appetite from, you know, transmission level developers for those milestones to be retrospectively enacted? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, they got, I mean, the questions were really coming from developers saying, are, are you going to you know, we see the need for this, you know, are, are you going to approve it? I think, I mean, what was said several times was, you know, we, we've got a queue of 500 gigawatts now, which is like half a terawatt, that's a bit, a bit insane, isn't it? Um, so there is no point to some of this reform unless we are able to give them enough teeth to be able to sort of solve the retrospective issue. In terms of other kind of uh, key updates, there was a little bit of back and forth around things like uh, initiative, some of those tactical initiatives, um, the transmission works assessment, um, which is sort of a combination of treatment of storage and also revision of CPAs, um, and uh, the expectation that the first tranche of customers who expressed interest, so those national grid EOI forms um, going back uh, sort of earlier in the summer, um, back sort of or probably May or so this year, um, that, that quite a lot of uh, our customers I know submitted. Um, so the first tranche of sort of assessments of those 
are completed now um, and uh, NGESA are expecting those to issue those out to customers imminently. Uh, they said it's 10 gigawatts and 20 schemes in the first tranche. Um, so no one's heard yet, but uh, people might be about to get uh, sort of revised connection dates off the back of that. Just very quickly, Catherine, but obviously on that one, that will be people having non-firm transmission access to get earlier dates who then may get those contracts in England and Wales, yes. who then might, as part of the five-point plan, then be told that actually they don't have the limitation anyway and then ultimately have a quicker connection without having the non-firm access. Yes. So so to be clear, the Transmission Works review t- takes the two things together. So it's 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 different treatment of battery storage, um, so not exacerbating network constraints, but also the CPA review. So that could entirely remove some enabling work. So some of those customers... I think we're, we're all kind of, you know, waiting with bated breath, really, to, um, sadly, I, I suspect none of ours are in the first tranche, um, but um, to see whether people have got earlier firm dates, which none of the other initiatives are going to give them. So I think that's, what, that's what's interesting about the Transmission Works review. Okay, so it's going to do both. So effectively, at that point, if they volunteered, they'll actually see one, their non-firm date and their firm date at the same time to understand that actually, is it beneficial because their firm date might be the same as their non-firm date? Well, I think, so um, this goes back to how you filled in the form, because effectively you were asked, are you interested in an earlier connection? Yes or no. Are you interested in a non-firm connection? Yes or no. So you could say yes to both. You know, I'm interested in both, in which case, as you say, Philip, you might get given options. I I suspect, we'll we'll have to wait to see, but I suspect the ESO have tried to... streamline that process so they are coming out with a, a ver- an agreement to vary so it's a you know it's a normal contract variation so um you know it's hard to present multiple options in that so i suspect they've mm. they've probably um had to take a look uh, at what the kind of most sensible option is so i guess if you can get an earlier firm connection they're probably not going to offer you that same date non-firm you know it wouldn't make sense um so i think you know we'll be really interested to sort of track that and and see how progress is made i know that quite a lot of customers were um, you know, we didn't really know what some of these non-firm solutions were going to look like, you know, in terms of the contracts. Um, I think the feedback is that we're expecting those to look quite like a sort of Appendix D, you know, so they will be lists of specific circuit restrictions. The ESO has undertaken that they will provide outage data to allow customers to assess the risks of those. So if, so if you're expecting a, a revised offer back from the ESO, I think the, the message is you're going to have to do the kind of curtailment work or the sort of risk and analysis but you are going to get some data um, which is good to hear and obviously going back to some of the work that we've previously spoken about is obviously they'll be able to provide data in terms of circuits and planned works but obviously won't be able to give any indication in terms of unplanned works in terms of faults or repairs or other issues that's coming through and maybe that's something that we need to push for in terms of how often would you expect to see um, outages as a result of repair of equipment in terms of catastrophic failures all those different things because actually we have a suspicion at the moment it's quite a lot more than what you would see in distribution world and therefore could end up having a reasonable impact for some of these schemes with last minute curtailment in terms of of system outages yeah yeah i I agree i think um you know the devil is going to be in the detail isn't it so we're going to have to have a look at some of these offers when they come out and make sure that people are, are accepting something which is commercially viable I think the um, the final point, I think maybe it's worth doing a bit of a technical limits update um, first, Nikki, because I think the final point is all around, there's, I think there's growing realisation just how much all of these different initiatives <laughs> interact with each other. Um, so so obviously the, the ESO are on that 
um, that sort of combined CPA piece and battery remodeling piece so that that transmission works uh, review um, that is going to I think I think what we're sort of hearing is that that is going to drip out slowly you know they're going to do tranches which is under, I think I can't remember if anyone knows it was something like 700 EOIs they got I think you know, but it was, it was, there's a very large volume of respondents to that um, original expression of interest request obviously that's it's just a particular bubble of customers you know so people were going back to sort of may i think that it was extended a couple of times so but you know we've, we've subsequently had customers you know not in england and wales who've been getting offers not based on these cpas so there is quite a lot of divergence i think at, at the moment um between things like the scottish tos um and enga in england and wales um and there are going to be some sort of bubbles of customers who've had the chance to express interest or to have or they're or, or they're maybe getting a two-step offer so they're going to get a revised offer at a later date with those new cpas and i think what we were hearing on monday was a bit of frustration from customers who are not captured in any of those bubbles yet so you know they're they're, they're perhaps applying in scotland or demand connections and they want those new cpas but there's at the moment there's no mechanism for them to get an offer with with that assessment in it so and um, that was quite an interesting kind of point that's, that's sort of definitely increasing in in noise levels yeah certainly it's very challenging to sort of explain with any clarity what the potential impacts of a lot of these schemes might be because they're very overlapping yeah so matt white was specifically asked a question uh, sorry so, so that was ukpm was specifically asked a question because they were presenting on technical limits um of you know if i'm in phase one of technical limits so I've, I've i've either just got or i'm just about to be asked to express interest um actually that technical limit assessment that the dna is doing is it based on the revised transmission assessment process and the answer was no um so so the answer was actually that that they are because they are moving at pace with the technical limit stuff that's still based on the kind of current uh, signed BCA position that DNO holds with National Grid. Mm. So again, there could be, you know, you, we might have sites which are underneath one of these phase one GSPs that get, that express interest, get a technical limit sort of solution with curtailment. And then in three months time, six months time, get an update to that to say, actually, as you say, Philip, those constraints might have gone away or um, we can get you on earlier so your curtailed period isn't going to last for as long uh, because we've actually got rid of some of the, the upstream transmission reinforcement works. And am I right in thinking that most of the assessment work that National Grid is undertaking is now going to be completed by the end of October? And I think most of the two-stage offers were coming out with the second stage in February or March time, which actually means it could be quite soon that we end up seeing some of the answers in terms of the the five point plan. I think it's going to be a case of the DNOs will then go through what they've got from National Grid. They'll go through all of their projects and see what the impact is, and then probably be. I've asked this question. It will probably be quite an admin heavy exercise to actually then go through everything and then write out to all customers to to let them know what's happening. And that in its in itself will probably take a couple of months. But yeah, I, I had heard similar timeframes, Philip, because I think the um, I think I'm right in thinking that uh, effectively, because because Ofdem did have to kind of grant a, a derogation to allow the two step offer process to be run. I think technically that runs out in February next year. So I think there is a kind of end date for 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 Enget as a TO to kind of finalise that CPA work, and and that has a knock on impact on the ESO doing their two step offer process. Hi, I hope you're really enjoying this episode so far, and are gaining a lot of very useful insight. If you're a new listener, I hope that you'll feel like you might come back. If so, make sure you hit the follow button and feel free to sign up to our newsletter, The Connectologist. 
at roadnighttaylor.co.uk so you don't miss out on any of the podcast webinars case studies thought pieces and explainers i think i'm not entirely clear about whether you know if someone applies to the eso now um you know or uh, over the next couple of months obviously you'd you know you, you could be applying now and expecting to get an offer back in february next year i'm not sure whether there's that they that might need to still be an interim offer and then you know your full offer might follow the following month or something much quicker but but i think there will still be some it's going to need to be a sort of dovetailing <laughs> of that two-step offer process back to one step business as normal you know applying and getting a full offer um i, su- I suspect i haven't sort of heard the esa talking that process through yet so i imagine there's a bit more thought required Unless there's a request for an extension. But if it sounds like they've done all of the modelling, you would hope that then there wouldn't need to be an extension. But as as Nikki said, it's going to be a lot of work for the DNOs to go through. And obviously, with that lot of work, with the resourcing and everything else, obviously an opportunity for mistakes to creep in as well, which obviously will need to be watched very, very closely from customers to try and make sure that they're getting an answer that they expect is correct. And I think just that they're not missing out. One thing that's really noticeable is is just how much the onus is kind of being pushed back onto customers to express interest or respond to to contact you know on really quite short time frames so i think that you've got a list haven't you Nikki? but the of the dno's issuing expressions of interest for participation in these phase one technical limit schemes yeah so i could run through that now actually if that's yeah. helpful cool so i will try not to mention every uh, gsp because i think we've gone through some of them before um, the sort of newer ones, so Spen has actually announced their phase one technical limits at GSPs. So they're Birkenhead, Capenhurst, Kirkby and Legacy. They've got a very, very short expression of interest period. So it uh, opened on the 16th of October and it actually closes on the 20th. Um, so anyone that's got anything under those GSPs in Spen, do let them know. Hopefully there'll be some sort of a, some sort of extension to, to that time period because that could quite easily be missed by people. Um, SSE has also announced their phase one and phase uh, phase one B. So phase one is Lovedean, Botleywood, Chickerall, Bramley, Mountain, Fleet, and then Mannington's in their phase one B, and then they'll announce phase two in January. Um, SSE's uh, expression of interest actually opens today, and then it closes on the first of November. Uh, what else have we got? So Engeds one they had twenty two GSPs uh, in their initial um, phase one. Uh, phase 1a uh, submission so that opened on the 15th of september and that's now closed because that was on the 30th uh ukpn have announced all of those i think we ran through those on the last podcast um that closes on the 2nd of november uh, then we've got northern power grid who've opened their expression of interest and there's not really a firm closing date for that uh, the Scottish DNOs, we haven't really heard anything from them. That's They're having some sort of more complex issues with actually implementing that in Scotland. I suppose none um, of the Scottish sites have an Appendix G, so they can't... No. They can't really... They don't meet the with the criteria to be a Phase 1 site. No, and there's, you know, there's not really A&M, you know, distribution and transmission are, you know, different levels in Scotland. Yeah. Um, and ENW, so I uh, heard from ENW that they're going to be doing a webinar on the 30th of October. Um, so hopefully we'll all get an invite for that soon. Uh, their expression of interest is going to open on the 1st of November and close on the 30th. So, yeah, it's all moving it's quite all going quickly. quickly. Yeah, <laughs> I think we, we've said um, uh, we are, so hopefully by the time this podcast goes out, we will have done it. Um, we're going to pop all of this information um, in a quick sort of one pager. We'll probably post it on our LinkedIn um, and send it out to clients who want it. Uh, just so you've got those dates and those lists of GSPs. But I think, you know, it's almost like a... 
uh, if in doubt, check, because I think the, the opportunity cost associated with missing some of these expressions of interest windows could, could be quite high. So, um, yeah, this is yeah, definitely worth flagging, isn't it? And it feels like there's lots of moving targets. If you miss one particular expression of one particular email, then potentially it could have quite significant impacts on your connection date. Yeah, well, I mean, I think we're, we're, I had a conversation with a Scottish TO, you know, who, who quite fairly, I think, said, um, you know, they were talking to a customer um, and they, you know, now saying, well, you know, I, I, if you had expressed interest in National Grid's expression of interest back in May, you know, then, um, you know, over the next coming months, um, we might be in a position to talk to you about whether there were opportunities to avoid certain reinforcements, um, you know, but but that's kind of a, to be sort of stuck six months later and saying, well, if you'd done something different back then, then we might be able to assess this differently. But as it is, sorry, we're, we're sort of following this kind of business as usual. Um, and I think that's why it's it's absolutely key to to change the business as usual you know we we need a transition plan don't we so that actually it doesn't matter whether you applied six months ago whether you expressed interest whether you're about to apply tomorrow we do assess all of these technical connection requests against the same technical cpa criteria yeah i think i would be keen for there to be you know an industry standard of if you applied for a grid connection then you probably want it before 2037 so it's a pretty fair assumption to make that everyone is going to want a, an earlier connection date i'm not sure i think it's it's kind of useful having these expressions of interest but they shouldn't be prescriptive to the people that actually knew that they needed to respond to them you know mailing lists aren't always up to date well that's it's, true isn't it you know, yeah I mean, in we, terms we, of fairness this, this we know seem... that as consultants we quite, you know <laughs> yeah. we quite often will get these forms and you know and send them on to the relevant parties but it might you know it might have been for an application that we submitted a long time ago you know and that might have changed hands so you know it requires quite a lot of diligence on the part of people who, who have been involved in the project to make sure that that email or that letter finds the right party yeah certainly um philip did you have anything to add so I think just in terms of, of wider things, in terms of news and views, one of the things that I'm growing increasingly concerned about is some of the DNOs and how they're assessing AM, mainly on the fact that schemes will sign up with active network management as a way of mitigating the high cost associated with network reinforcement. And ultimately, often they'll get sent a curtailment assessment, which will be some high-level assumptions in terms of different profiles, different forecasts of the future, different assumptions on network ratings. And now it appears that some of the DNAs are going back and marking, remarking their own homework and massively reducing the network asset rating, which then significantly increases the catalma risk, some of which can go from the 1s and 2% up to the 90 100%. Some of the assets are rated at either 115, 200 MVA, their outputs are now being set at a third or a quarter of what their actual asset rating is. And that's not based on it. That's not, that's not because they've gone back and said, well, actually, this overhead line is old or this buried cable has got a pinch point somewhere. It's not based on an engineering concern, Philip. That's based on a, a policy change? Absolutely. It's based on a risk element of it in terms of going through of massively trying to reduce the risk. And I think at the moment, that's then not clear what the actual settings will go into an A&M scheme. Yeah. And all clients need to be aware that even if they are connected with an A&M scheme, if these changes go back as being retrospectively, you could have a scheme that has been little or no curtailment for years to all of a sudden seeing really quite high levels of curtailment. It's things that we're digging down to into with specific DNOs that are starting to release these figures. One of the things that we would recommend is if you start to get a curtailment assessment report coming from the DNO with Ofgem's new curtailment spreadsheet, 
if you can encourage the DNO to send that to you, you can see a lot of the data and the assumptions that's going in there, including a fudge factor that goes into re-rating the assets in terms of what they are, so what their typical ratings are, and then how they're changing it based on a intact worst case and how that's then de-rating of the network. And there again, that if it is applied to the AM schemes, that could have significant impacts on schemes for both import and export. I guess the... Um... Uh, you know that that's kind of the way. I mean, the way we've we've been trying to push for things to move, and and a lot of people have kind of subscribed to this sort of open data concept. Some of the network operators, anyway. You know, but so the idea is should be share the data, be transparent about the assumptions. But it sounds like that's getting even more important. Actually, if some of the assumptions that are being made are perhaps more academic. Absolutely, and especially where it's involving detailed levels of risk analysis, trying to understand is that just the worst case that's been used in terms of curtailment assessments only. Or is that the actual value that will go into the A&M controller that will ultimately be controlling the scheme? Because ultimately, they both should be equal. You should be understanding your risk based on a set of known assumptions to understand if A&M is a good option for you. And then I think it also goes back to if the A&M settings are going to be so low that then it means A&M is probably not the right solution for a numerous of customers, and then starting to look at consortiums of network reinforcement in terms of what work should be done to try and unlock these constraints, because ultimately there could be a lot of generation schemes that are being unnecessarily being constrained because A&M responses have been slowed down or there's concern around the system, and then a case of assessing, should there be intertrips with A&M? How is that unfair on small customers? What should be done for small customers, medium, large customers that could unlock hundreds of megawatts in terms of constraint levels? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a really interesting point, isn't it? We were reviewing a connection agreement, you know, for a connected scheme, um, which does have an A&M connection. Um, it was one of the early uh, sort of more innovations or trial schemes, so it's so a kind of sm- smaller scheme. Um, and actually, I think what struck me was that s- some DNOs really don't have much in terms of protection for the customer in terms of that A&M agreement. You know, it didn't say, didn't confirm what their life OQ position was. It didn't confirm which technical constraints the A&M system was limiting their output on the basis of. You know, really, it just said, well, you know, you've got an A&M connection. We might, we might constrain you, you know, for any reason. And actually, that's probably, you know, obviously, this was quite an early stage scheme. You know, there's been a lot of learning since then. Um, you know, I think, I think a lot of people would say that that's, that's not the template they would roll out now. I know I've seen a UKPN A&M connection agreement template, which does have quite a lot of detail in. Um, you know, I, I think that there probably are different practices going on across the different DNOs. But it's, but now we are expecting so many of these sites to be A&M curtailed it's really important isn't it but i bet that latest connection agreement you saw didn't include what was the network asset value that it was going to be curtailed to no no you're absolutely right i mean you know i think i think the 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 better case i won't say gold standard definitely i I think the the the, the better one i saw you know at least had a list of network constraints so it was you know the a&m system is acting in the event of overloading on the following circuits you know i think having nothing in there is just far too exposing but this is, I mean, this is sounding like we probably need to podcast on them, um, A&M implementation and connection agreements um, and, and, and how the kind of devil is in the detail, even after you've got sort of through the, your financial investment decision, actually once it's implemented and energised. Absolutely. So that's the key one for me. I think the only other little one that I was going to add in was just some observations. So the DNOs have published their CDCM and EDCM charging for 2024, so the forecast. 
And so that's what um, people might know as Duos charges. Uh, yes, the Duos, yes, the, um, the use of system charges. So one of the things that's very clear is that the charges have gone up quite significantly and the charges have gone up quite significantly because of the SCR in terms of stripping out the payment of network reinforcement, especially for demand connections. Ultimately, that means the DNOs will be incurring more cost and the impact of them incurring more cost means they need to recover the money for it and that's been apportioned back to customers. Um, I think it's something that if you're on connected scheme, whether you be a generation or a demand scheme, it will be key to go through and look at these charges, understand these charges, and ultimately to forecast how much your um, your tariffs will increase. In some instances, some of the fixed charges per day are doubling. Mm. Um, so it's quite significant changes to them as a result of the more socialising of network reinforcement, um, which is obviously something that I particularly feel needs to be looked at very carefully. It's obviously significant code review is often mandated. It's across the UK, but also understanding what should be done, when should be done, what assets should go back and how should it be charged. There's a difference, isn't there, between costs on the HV network, you know, costs which are incurred because a DNO had to reinforce a 33 kV line. That 33 kV line cost is socialised to EHV customers, right? It's not socialised to Mrs. Miggins down the road, you know, with her LV domestic supply. My understanding is it would go to everyone that ultimately the pot gets split up between EHV customers and distribution customers or LV connected customers and ultimately it will be recovered apportionally for the whole cost of all of the works across all the license area. Ah, so that's my understanding, but I could yeah, be wrong. Okay. And, it, and it's definitely like an interesting sort of social point, isn't it? You know, obviously more socialised cost does fundamentally mean at some point bill payers costs potentially going up or the non-wholesale price element of bill payers costs yes. going up. The, the distribution use of system element of it going up and then potentially as a result of low energy costs having a net decrease overall. Um, but there again, something to come through. But obviously if you are planning on connecting or if you're already connected, um, it's probably one of just going back for your financial model and just understanding what these changes will mean in terms of what your bills will end up turning out to be. I know that, I'm um, just thinking, uh, news items, uh, I think uh, th- there was one other you know, quite important publication that came out in s- at the end of September, which we probably didn't talk about last time, um, which was the ENA have um, published some quite important guidance to do with storage connections, um, how they should be designed. So this is the, the distribution element of your connection, um, particularly in regards P2. So that's the sort of um, security of supply uh, rules for distribution network operators. Um, and it, this is really to try and lessen the burden on distribution networks of storage so rather than try and design a firm connection system for them so, so there's quite a lot of detail in this guidance doc um it's it's well in fact there are, there are two guidance docs and um, there are some sort of worked examples some really quite detailed um policy uh sort of implementation changes um so i think we are going to do an entire podcast on that and i think pete aston is going to do it so he probably would have done that much more succinctly than i have but i think keep an eye out for a podcast on um I think it'll probably, what's it called? Uh, Strategic Connections Electricity Storage Guidance Notes. That's that's the punchy title they've come out with. Um, uh, so um, I think we'll have a podcast on that soon. And one of the things I hope Pete will go into is, well, that will be applied to new customers. Will they start to apply that retrospectively to old customers? How does that end up covering for the... 100 plus gigawatt of distribution, potentially. 113 gigawatts of distribution weighted for transmission reinforcement. Yep, accepted storage schemes in terms of coming through. So um, that will obviously have a much more significant impact. And I think there again, helping people understand what other changes the network might have implications to them, especially the ones that have got A&M for import on them as well. What happens if other people apply? What happens to their risk profile? That's a very good point, actually, isn't it? So, so, so 
Uh, this isn't just relevant to storage customers because how storage customers are treated has a really big impact on demand customers trying to get capacity. So anyone who's a demand customer who's recently applied for grid capacity, you've probably already found out that the, the DNOs have said, well, actually, in a lot of places, that network is effectively kind of sterilised by batteries. So yeah, so probably a really important one for demand customers to listen into too. Brilliant. So certainly lots of movement in the industry happening at the moment with technical limits. Um, obviously, it sort of remains to be seen what impact that'll have, and then also you've got to wait for the results of the five point plan. Um, but hopefully, really positive steps in the right direction. You know, we've been waiting quite a long time to hear the outcome of this. Um, lots more clarity needed on A and M, and maybe some more alignment uh, on the, the sort of A and M process and how that's going to be done now post SCR. Um, and also, just that really important sort of uh, more commercial aspect around tariffs and being aware of what they're going to be. So thank you very much, Catherine, and thank you very much, Philip. That's us, and I'm sure you'll hear from us on another podcast soon. Thanks, everyone. Goodbye. Thanks, Nikki. Excellent hosting. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you for taking your precious time to listen to this episode. Now, not everyone is ready to have a connectologist in their life. For others, it's just too expensive. And as our team is so small, we do have to be very selective in what work we take on. And that's why we put so much effort into these shows. We want our society to have the equitable energy system it needs in order to decarbonise and to thrive. So we want to help to topple as many connections barriers as we possibly can in spite of our size. So please do feel free to ping a link to this episode to anyone you know who might be interested because it would mean so much to everyone here.